Hey there, everybody. We are live. Welcome to uh, another weekly episode or another show of the week uh, where my goal is to bring you uh, and into a conversation between me, someone who's way smarter than me, someone who's an expert in an area, studied something in depth to help us think deeper about Christianity, think deeper about God, think deeper about worldviews, the culture we live in, so that we can be better trained to be ambassadors of Jesus Christ. And so today's episode is going to be a little bit different, that we're actually kind of evaluating something that Christians use, as you see up here in the corner, the Passion Translation. Uh, is this something that we should use? That's going to be the topic of our conversation. And really, what are some things that you should think about before using this translation? As with a lot of my videos, I try to present some different angles, present some different sides, get us to think about, you know, about issues maybe differently, be open to other sides. And so I think this is one thing that maybe uh, we don't have a full rounded view of what exactly is behind this translation. So we're going to be talking about that. And joining me to do so is Mike Winger. Mike, thanks for coming on. Hey, it's good to be here. Thanks for having me. Yeah. How are you doing today? I'm doing good, man. Doing good. Just um, prepping, been prepping for a lot of stuff that's coming down the road. And, uh, and I'm, but I'm happy to be with you today. We haven't got to hang out for a while. Not since we got, uh, wh wh where was it we ate at? We chicken ate, and waffles. Yeah, we had chicken and waffles down in Long Beach <laughs> a little while ago. Yeah, man, for those of you who don't know Mike, uh, Mike and I met uh, at the Rethink Apologetics Conference, I think, is where we first met. Uh, yeah. Mike is uh, a, a Christian pastor. He's a YouTuber. Uh, and if you have been following this channel for any amount of time, at least before January, um, Mike was a big influence in, in helping me make some changes, some improvements, gave me a lot of wisdom on that. In fact, uh, and a lot of you probably watching are from Mike's channel is that we had a fun little video on January 1st. I heard it was a very popular video for you, Mike, this accidental live stream that happened. <laughs> yeah, well, basically I was testing out new software because I wanted to do more interviews in the future and I didn't like my current setup. And so I asked Ryan to pop on with me and, and then, um, I, I tested it with was meant to be a private live stream, a live stream nobody could watch except me, but it went to the public one instead. So there we were all of a sudden I'm like, wait, are we live? <laughs> so but you got some subs out of it. So that was nice. Yeah, I definitely got some subscribers. And I just thought it was so funny because uh, I'm sitting there eating lunch and then like half the comments that come in on your video is like, is that someone eating in the background? It's like, <laughs> yeah, that was me. I was eating my lunch yeah. while on that conversation. And so, yeah, I appreciate it. So, you know, you have your own channel. Your channel, uh, it really covers a wide range of topics from uh, sermons and preaching through the book of Mark and different series that you mm -hmm. work on, as well as apologetics and theological topics. How do you go about um, choosing the topics that you cover? Mm. Um, I don't have exactly a science to it, but I'll offer at least some of the principles, the things that like kind of run around in my head for how I choose topics. One thing I want to know is if, if this issue is needful, if it's important, if it's, if, and when I say needful, I mean, I'm thinking needful in the sense of practical human lives. Like, do people need this? Are people like, boy, this would help me. This would affect my life. It would impact me. So that's one question I ask. Another one is, is it something that I can do with my gift set? There's plenty of things I'd like to be able to, you know, make a video on, but I just, I don't have either the time to study or the mental capacity yeah. <laughs> and, and experience to cover that topic or that issue. So, you know, with my gift set, can I do this? Can I do it fairly well? And then of course, do I have the time? Um, what's interesting is I, and uh, unlike a lot of YouTubers, what I never ask is, will this video go viral? Um, I don't actually even try to make viral content <laughs> as you may be able to tell if you look at my videos. Um, I, I do try to package whatever I do make based on what I think is important. I try to package it well for YouTube, for the platform, but it's, it's not, uh, about going viral. It's about meeting needs. And that has created a catalog of videos where people go, wow, that helped me, that helped me, that helped me, or that helped my friend. And. And then that causes it to grow on its own. 
Absolutely. So no, I, and I do appreciate that. And want to just encourage people to, you know, go over and check it out. I have a lot of the links uh, below for a lot of your content. And again, just, uh, I, I do appreciate the depth in which you cover the issues and, and how you have researched these things so well. Uh, you know, my job maybe is a little bit easier in the sense that I mainly do interviews uh, and then share short little Q and A's. It's a lot easier to prepare for a three minute uh, question and answer, and then just questions for an interview than to actually prep all the content yourself. So definitely Awesome. Go check it out. If any of you did not come first from Mike's channel over to mine and you are just one of my subscribers, head on over to Mike's as well. Uh, so, okay. So the topic of our conversation today, the passion translation. Now I reached out to my uh, subscribe. I reached out to followers on Instagram and Twitter and Facebook. And I said, you know, how many of you guys have heard of the passion translation? What do you think about it? And most people have not heard of it. And so uh, why, why is this a, a, something that you have taken an interest in? And then, ulti and then also, you know, why should people continue watching this video? Why is this something, it's like, oh, another translation, who cares what that translation's about? Why is this something that we're taking an entire time to do an interview about? Yeah, well, I mean, you know, it may, the passion translation may not be relevant to you individually. Um, although there's principles we'll talk about today that are important about translations and about translating and about looking at what, what Bible you're using, so that's true. But the reason why I got on my radar initially is because um, I think, although I don't remember the exact moment, but I think what it started with was my research into Bethel, uh, their movement, and Bill Johnson and his influence on other people. And I researched that a lot. I went really deep into it. And that sort of introduced me to sort of a um, a culture within within the Christian culture that has some really good things going on, but it has also some very concerning things going on at the same time. Well, this is kind of what the Passion Translation is coming out of. You may not have heard of it if you're outside that circle, but if you're in that circle, it's like it's like the best thing since sliced bread. And it's sold millions and millions of copies, and it's being used. Um, I, I'm told that in uh, – this is what I've heard here say, that in Bethel's bookstore, the only Bible translation they're selling was the Passion Translation. I haven't confirmed that. Um, but at any rate, it's it's become very popular amongst a certain group of people. But that group is actually pretty big. Yeah. It's not that small. Millions and millions of copies of this thing have sold. That was what one scholar told me. He was like, what's shocking – is just how quickly this thing has is selling. Mm -hmm. You know, there's so many translations, but that's because of all these endorsements. So, so here's some of the things that triggered me to look at it. Um, there's endorsements from a number of pastors and leaders who all share one thing in common. Um, and I don't mean this at all to be rude to them. It's just the facts of reality is they all have sloppy theology and uncareful teaching. <laughs> and so when you have a bunch of endorsements all from the same sort of cluster of people, and then all their followers are buying this work, I'm like, hmm, interesting. Um, the There's oddities in the translation. We'll talk about, there's a lot of strange oddities in the translation, a lot of them, and there are significant. We will get into those. Um, there's also the visions and the claims of the translator, who Brian Simmons, it's a sole translator. He's done the work basically by himself, uh, by and large. And he claims that he has been given, you know, empowerment by God to make a new translation that has secrets of the Hebrew language, and it's got revelation from God in it that's greater than other translations previously. This is, these are all very concerning things. Um, and, and then the next thing was nobody's responding to this. So I'm like, yeah. I look around and I go like, hardly anybody's even talking about this thing. Yeah. I think I'll spend some time on it. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I think that's so good because, you know, as you mentioned, and, and what was on my mind and why I wanted to do this is not only have I seen this used in circles around me, uh, but I also think that uh, if Christians aren't careful, there's a lot of times where we just see a Bible verse quoted and we don't realize or even think what translation is this being quoted from? And, you know, I, it always catches my attention when someone preaches a sermon and the first verse was from the ESV and the second verse is from the NIV and the third verse is from the NLT and the fourth verse is from the HGSB. And it's like, 
wait, why are we using all these different translations? Yeah. Are we picking and choosing what looks good? Do we not like how it's worded in something else? You know, but yeah. most Christians, I think, don't realize that when they're maybe at a church and it says TPT right afterwards, that they're using the Passion Translation and they go, oh, that's just a beautifully translated Bible. We don't think much about it. So hopefully <laughs> it's, again, in my goal to help us think deeper about Christianity and really to go deep into who God is and how he's revealed himself to us. I want us to be able to think critically about, look, God has revealed himself in his word. And we need to take the translating of his word seriously, and we need to take the reading of his word seriously to where we have to be careful which translation we're using for what purpose. Uh, it's not that they're all bad, and we'll talk about that. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, there's, I think maybe just uh, a lot of people using this translation to uh, not recognizing what goes behind it. So as Mike pointed out, we're going to be talking about who the translator was, kind of what some of his theology is. We're going to be looking at some of the translation philosophy and some of the ways in which he translated. We're going to do some verse by verse comparison. And then at the end, I have a video of Brian Simmons talking about what I think is a huge, huge theological point that kind of flows from his translation philosophy. So that's going to be kind of what we're going to be looking at uh, here throughout the interview. Now, um, talking about, you know, this idea in translation is, is some people might can might say this is like the message, right? It's, it's kind of like a paraphrase. Uh, you know, it's taken liberties, it's expanded things, it's made it flowery and beautiful language. Um, you know, how, how do we relate it to other translations like maybe the message? Well, um, <clears throat> I mean, my, my thought is if it is like the message, we should, probably shouldn't be using it. <laughs> Just like, I don't really recommend using the message. Now, don't get me wrong. There's a lot of good translations out there. Uh, there's plenty of great translations and chances are you grab a mainstream translation, you have a very good work in front of you. And I would, I would stake my faith on just about any of them. Yeah. I would say I will take these teachings and, and live them out as the word of God. Uh, but like the message is definitely not on that list. Even Eugene Peterson, the translator of the message or the guy who authored it, he said, don't use this as your, as your primary Bible, whatever you do. Like it's just an extra thing, you know, like it's on the side, but let me give you an example. Here's Psalm one, verse one in the message. You guys know this, like blessed is the man who sits not, stands not, walks not. Like we know this passage, but here it is in the message. It says, how well God must like you. You don't hang out at sin saloon. You don't slink along dead end road. You don't go to smart mouth college. I mean, it's pretty obvious that David didn't write that, right? <laughs> or like none of this, none of the smart authors of the Psalms wrote that or had ever thought of a phrase like sin saloon or smart mouth college, the message is, is a, is a fun, um, very idiomatic translation. It's not really translation, it's a paraphrase, right? It's very idiomatic and it's idiomatic to like a country pastor who uses lots and lots of country slang. That's, that's, so it has its own appeal, but it's really a weird translation. It's a weird thing and you, you don't want to use it. So I would say if it's the message, fine, we don't want to use it, but but the Passion Translation is very different than that because unlike Eugene Peterson, Brian Simmons is saying that this is a good translation for your primary use as a, as a, as a study Bible, as the Bible that you're getting your clear, careful teachings from. So that's, that's a pretty big deal. Um, now, most translations, unlike the message, unlike um, the Passion Translation, they're not translated by individuals. They're transla translated by committees. There's a whole committee of people, and they're all highly qualified and vetted. And the reason why they use committees is because – it's just known and scholars will say this, and it seems obvious whether you're a scholar or not, that when when one guy is translating, his you know, he might be weird in a few areas and his weirdness will come off in the translation. He might have a little pet topics that he wants to kind of push and he'll push those in his translation. But when you have a committee and they're working together on it, they catch each other and it's like a system of checks and balances to make sure that the the word comes out clear and unadultered. Yeah. 
And um, the uh, the passion translation is not like that at all. It's just one guy. And how do you avoid this, the strange things of one guy's opinion? Even well-known thoughtful scholars like N.T. Wright, who've done their own translation, have received criticism because people are like, yeah, this is why you don't do your own translation, buddy. You know, yeah. <laughs> this is exactly why your, your biases come out whether you like it or not. Yeah. And I think that's good to point out is that, you know, one of the critiques is often this is a sole translation, you know, just Brian Simmons. Uh, and then people go, well, so is the message. So is N.T. Wright's. And it's like, but there's a big difference is that we hopefully are not saying use the message in your scholarly research of God's word. Uh, this might be yeah. is a, a fun way to, to read scripture, to maybe bring it into a different wording. Um, and hopefully we're not preaching from it. Um, and, and so there's a difference in saying, look, this is a paraphrase that is just trying to put it in language to give people a, a new understanding versus this is a single translation. And it's also a translation that is matching with something like an ESV or an NIV or, or something of that sort. Yeah, yeah. And I and you have to say comparing it to the message is a pretty low bar. The message isn't even a responsible paraphrase. <laughs> so if you if you know what it is, if you're cognizant of what it is, you can factor that in as you read it. It's somebody's creative commentary and and idiomatic restating of the text. It's not like this is what the Bible actually says. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, so as we get and into some, the passion. <laughs> yeah. So as we get into some of the verse by verse comparisons here in a little bit, uh we'll see that definitely some liberties were taken. Uh, but if you look mm -hmm. on the Passion Translation website, it, it talks and even mentions that all translations take some liberties. All translations have to add words to get what from this originally Greek and Hebrew to flow into the English language. And so mm -hmm. they're just doing what every other translation is doing, right? Or is there actually a difference? This is a really tricky point because it's absolutely true that all translations take liberties. And every translator, to some extent, has to do with a degree of interpretation not just translating, but interpreting of the meaning of a word in its context so that they can give it to you in the English or whatever your language is. Um, so that's true. Um, and they all have some measure of bias that leaks in somewhere. But this doesn't mean that we should have no limit to the amount of, of, of freedom that we give someone to interpret or to take liberties or to have bias. It's kind of like saying, hey, you know, a criminal goes and stabs you and you complain, don't stab me. And you go, well, hey, doctors stab people all the time. And you go, but this is very different than that scenario. And, and I just want to say that what the passion is doing with the word of God is very different than, than the things it's talking about when it gives excuses. And it says, oh, well, everyone takes liberties. Well, that's true. Just like doctors use scalpels and cut people open. But that's very different than someone when they're not a doctor and they're using a scalpel on someone who doesn't have a medical problem. <laughs> that's, that's, that's a crime. Yeah. And that's that would be more of a of a closer parallel to what happens in this translation. Okay, so I, okay, so I think it's good to kind of lay out some of those I think initial kind of objections, questions about who the translator is and how translations actually work in the beginning. Uh, so I want to get into some of the specifics because I know, man, there's just so much to talk about. And again, uh, for those watching in the description below, I've stolen a lot of information from Mike. Uh, there's links to videos to articles that he's found. Uh, there's a whole YouTube uh, playlist that he has created on videos that he has and different interviews that go much more in depth on some of the things that we are going to cover. So if you want more, uh, there's definitely a lot there to check out and be involved with and, and to see for yourself. Um, but I do want to kind of go through some of these main ideas and, and work through kind of who is Brian Simmons, uh, what are some first by verse comparison, and so and then what are some kind of practical application uh, that we should get from it. So um, if you get to his um, uh, their website, let me pull this up right here. Uh, their website right here uh, says uh, for us, uh, let me 
zoom out a little bit. There we go. Uh, Dr. Brian Simmons is a former missionary, linguist, minister, and Bible teacher. As a missionary, he and his wife, Candace, pioneered church plants in South and Central America. As a linguist, Brian co-translated the Papakuna, Payakuna, Paya. New Testament yeah. for the Payakuna people of Panama. Uh, so here's a little bit about him. I think I have one more thing here where it kind of talks about him. Uh, Brian Simmons is the lead translator for the Passion Translation. His background in translating the Bible originated as a co-translator for the Kuna New Testament and the New Tribes Mission, uh, providing the unreached Payakuna people group of Panama with a copy of God's Word for the first time. Since then, he has leveraged his linguistic and bi biblical language background to translate the entire New Testament and four books of the Old Testament into modern English. So here I have, you know, from the Q&A page from the Passion Translation website, a little bit of info on uh, who um, Brian Simmons is. And so uh, mm -hmm. any, any kind of comments here uh, on who he is as a person? Yeah, um, well, I mean, as, and here's where I want to be very careful yeah. because... I, I have no animosity towards Brian Simmons. I, I've, I've dialogued with him. I actually, because I've been coming after the Passion Translation pretty aggressively, um, at least aggressive for me, for my style, um, I, I thought, let me give him a chance to tell me I'm wrong. So I, I reached out for a private conversation. I said, I won't tell people about our dialogue. It'll be totally private. I'm not trying to trap you. I, I've experienced people trying to trick and trap me and all this. I'm, like I said, I'm just reaching out to say, hey, show me where I'm wrong. You've seen my videos, show me where I'm wrong. He responded and we dialogued for a while. For a few weeks, we spent, you know, sent messages back and forth. Now I promise not to share the content of those messages, except, and I told Brian I'd say this as well, to say that um, after trying to offer him opportunity to show me where I'm significantly or substantially wrong, not like I'm right about everything I say, um, I decided, okay, I, I think it's totally fair and right for me to move forward with my criticisms. I think they're accurate substantially, and I'm going to continue moving forward. So this is not a personal thing at all against him in any way, shape, or form. It, I, you know how it is as a Christian especially. It just feels weird to like yeah. uh, criticize, but it's about the truth of God's word and the claims that are being made in public that are impacting people's lives. So that being said— um, but I'm, And I'm glad you said to, that So you know, because I was going to point that out as well of— uh, I, and we started with this and I just, you know, it's just so important is that we're not attacking him, but he is producing a translation that is catching on and selling tons of copies and many people are using. And so we have to ask the question, okay, it, who is the person who's translating it? Is this God's word? Is it reliable? And I think it is important to say, yeah, you have talked with him. You have shared your concerns and asked questions um, and are still coming and going to be sharing kind of what we're talking about. So uh, it's not just us sitting here attacking someone without any reason to believe it. Uh, there is information from the website, information we're looking at from scripture, as well as you've had these conversations. Yeah. And, and, and I think here's where, um, what's going to happen over and over again with the content on the website, with his Q and a, with his, with his statements about his claims about his past and about the pastor translation itself is it's going to be making mountains out of molehills. They're not claims that are utterly false. Okay. They're not just outright lies. That's not what I'm saying. But they are misleading claims frequently about the translation, about the methodology, about the source text. We'll talk about that maybe. There's a lot of really misleading stuff here. So it takes some nuance. I'm not like, he's just a liar. That's not what I'm yeah. trying to say. Uh, but what I am saying is, you know, <clears throat> the impression you get when you read his content or hear him talk about his experience of the past is that he's a trained Bible translator. He is a, quote, linguist. He says this everywhere in his, in his stuff. I'm, he's a linguist. And that he has experience actually translating the Bible before, at least the New Testament, for the Payakuna people. Now, what most people assume when they hear this, what they think is, okay, so he knows Hebrew and he knows Greek. And he's actually spent time translating before from Hebrew and Greek into a, a different language, in this case, Payakuna. But he has a lot of experience. But there's several problems with this. 
His involvement in the Piacuna translation seems exaggerated on his website. His actual involvement from the, and I've, I, I've asked him about this. I've, I've asked um, uh, Ethnos360, which is the name of the group um, that they changed their name after a while, but that was the group that he was, he was doing the translating with at the time that he was, he was uh, one of their people, you know, uh, on the ground in Panama. And I've, I've talked to them. I've talked to the leaders there and you know, here's the thing. He arrived in Panama years after the translation stuff had already begun. He left Panama years before the translation was finished. That's a timeline factor, right? He left in the late eighties. It was done in 1995. He implies that he he finished it. He like was there starting it and finishing it, but he wasn't there for either of those things, which is just a little bit confusing. Um, but more to the point, and this is a bigger deal, his training is not in, in Hebrew and Greek and Aramaic, which is what you need if you're going to make the Passion Translation, because that's what he says he's getting it from, Hebrew, Greek, Aramaic. His his training as a linguist is a little bit indeterminate. We don't know how much training he's actually had. Uh, New Tribes Mission didn't give him a degree of any kind. He took some classes of some kind with them. I'm not entirely sure what they were. But what what we do know from talking to his actual coworkers is that he was really good at Payakuna. He was really good at this foreign language. And so he did help people to, to talk to the Payakuna, to understand how to communicate with them, to understand how their language worked. That's true. The problem is that doesn't give you any sort of equipment at all for making a translation from Hebrew, Greek, or he claims Aramaic into English. Yeah. Right? Because that, that's like saying, look, I know Chinese really well. I'm going to make a new Bible translation yeah. in English. It doesn't really doesn't yeah. really translate, to tell you the truth. So uh, basically, the, the bottom line is this, is that while he, he's not just making up whole cloth stuff in his bio, his bio is making mountains out of molehills, and it's implying he has more training to the average person. They're thinking he's got a lot more training than he's actually got. Yeah. yeah. And I think it's important. I mean, uh, when, I, when I was in graduate school at Talbot, uh, one of my roommates was a linguist, and he was part of Bible translation projects. And uh, maybe he's watching. I think he he said he might watch, but or he'll see this eventually. But um, you know, he he just finished reading the entire Old Testament in Hebrew, uh, and and even he like we would have these conversations on how to translate stuff. And there's this difficulty, even someone who just finished reading the entire Old Te Old Testament in Hebrew, uh, and had that kind of Bible background. I took I took a semester in graduate school on Greek and Hebrew. I barely know how to pronounce some Greek words and I forgot the Hebrew alphabet already. <laughs> so, I mean, I just, you got to get it in the song, the, you know, I left bed, well, yeah. let, hey. so just like, man, you gotta, how much is, is necessary in order to do translation? It took me, I, yeah. I was a missionary for four years. It took me four years before I felt comfortable being a translator it, because it's just, so, there's a difference between speaking yourself and then translating from something different. Uh, I just think that's just so important. Uh, to point yeah. Out. So he, now, I'm not saying he didn't help with the translation. What I'm saying is I think we have I have good reason to say, and I've, I've, I've covered this more in my videos, but the, the conclusion is he doesn't have sufficient training to say that he is properly trained to do a Bible translation from the original languages. Yeah. So we're, we're just saying that his experience in Panama doesn't translate to translating the Bible afresh uh, in English from the original languages. That's all I'm saying. Yeah. Now, his actually, he does have a degree though. He is a doctor. He got it from the Wagner Training Institute, which which is a a very uh, some would say hyper charismatic. It's a very strongly charismatic um, uh, school. And his training, his actual degree, his doctor is doctorate is in practical ministry with a focus on prayer. Now, this is where some would actually mock him for that. There's nothing wrong with that. This is a good thing to get a degree in. And guess what? Practical ministry and prayer are very important things in the daily lives of Christians, more so than Hebrew and Greek, actually. <laughs> but but it, the only point is it doesn't have anything to do with 
his actual work. So when he's, you know, Dr. Brian Simmons, it doesn't relate any more than someone who has their doctorate in Hebrew doing a, an appendicitis operation on you. It's like, you're going to die. You're like, you can't translate doctor to doctor like that. Um, some of his coworkers I talked to his pre previous coworkers, one was Jerry McDaniels, Jerry McDaniels, who he was grieved. Like he was like, I feel really awkward saying these things. I don't have anything against Brian. Um, but he worked with the Kuna people for over 30 years. Um, and, and he says, Brian was good with the Kuna. He talks about how he even worked as a checker where he would read the translation to the Kuna people and then give feedback to the translators, but he didn't have his primary work as a translator at least. Um, he says this, and I quote him now word for word. He says, nobody in our mission. Nobody in our mission would ever say that he's a Bible translator or was ever approved as a Bible translator. And that's pretty significant because the now he's not claiming it clearly, but the implication on his website is that the training he got from New Tribes, which is now called Ethnos 360, is what helped him and is, is sort of qualifying him for his new task of translating. But when you check with New Tribes, they go, mm, no, not really. Yeah. So that's concerning. Absolutely. And I want to bring up one other thing. And again, I just I feel like sometimes bringing up some of these points, it's like, just seems so much like an attack. And, but I think uh, what I want to keep reminding everybody of is like, look, we, we got to look into, you know, what's going on. And these are at least things to consider, right? And if you see this and it's like, hey, I don't see that as being a big issue. Okay. Like you can kind of make that call for yourself, but this is at least something to consider that I think uh, is kind of a big deal. So uh, on his- Yeah. And, and, and I'd, be, I'd be happy if Brian was to say, Look, here's a list of the of the of the classes I've done. Here's exactly what my training was and here's what my claims are. He doesn't have any clear claims. It's all just implications. Be very happy to see those things there. I'm I'm convinced for myself that that the training is insufficient for the task he's doing now. Okay. Yeah. Um so one other thing and I'll, I'll kind of bring this up and then see if you have any thoughts on it as well. Uh, as you look at um uh, through the Passion Translation website, uh let me pull this up right here. Uh, <clears throat> you have him quoting scholars. And so here you yeah. have, oh, shoot, let me, let me bring this back. Okay, there we go. You have uh, him quoting uh, Craig Keener, which is a very respected scholar, uh, talking about this translation. You have him quoting um, also, uh, who's the second person? Mike Bird. Yeah, Mike Bird is quoted here as well. And so he, in the Q&A page on the Passion Translations website, uh, is quoting mm -hmm. biblical scholars, showing them, uh, showing how they support the, or how, how what they're saying is in support of his translation. However, there was an article that was done, written in response to this, where, uh, and of course, uh, there it is, where uh, they reached out to these biblical scholars. Um, everything is a different size, and let me resize this. Um, only two biblical scholars are cited in support of these claims, Keener and Mike Bird. Neither of them say anything like what the website implies they say about the original Aramaic text. And then this author of this article followed up with Mike Bird, and his response, in short, short to the point, I won't quote it, but it was effectively saying, I don't this think this person is correct. Now <laughs> He softened it a bit. Yeah. <laughs> now, Brian Simmons responded to this article uh, here about how his quotes are highly misleading. And said, I, he said, I was, would be troubled if they were highly misleading people in any measure. I do not uh, appreciate your opinion. I do not plan on asking to publish it, blah, blah, blah. But then he goes on to say right here. Keener and Bird, all references to Keener and Bird will be removed for your conversation with Mike Bird. I didn't misquote them, but if they feel like it's being used inappropriately, they will be removed. So if you scroll up to the top of this article, this was written, there we go, in 2016. You go back to the mm -hmm. website, still on the website, here are the Still quotes. today. I checked today too. Yes. Just this, is, this is fact, right now. You're, you're on the website I'm now, on right? the website right now. Uh, mm -hmm. That's concerning to me. Um, yeah. Do you have any thoughts on this? 
Yeah, l- let me just say first, this, this is again, there's a consistent repeated pattern here of making mountains out of molehills, or I should say, misleading people with things that aren't exactly like lies, they're just misleading. It's just giving you a false impression. Um, Craig Keener and Mike Bird are talking about Jesus's original spoken language of Aramaic. Brian Simmons is talking about ultimately an Aramaic text that he's going to use to translate while he makes the Passion Translation. This is what's upsetting Keener and Bird. They're like, wait a minute, you know, you're using our quotes about Jesus's spoken language to talk about a text you're using to translate. Don't do that. We're embarrassed by you using the Aramaic text and saying it's original. That's embarrassing and wrong. And you're using our quotes to support that. We're bothered by that. It's misleading. Um, so he he said, I'll take him. He goes, I didn't quote him wrong. Well, technically, he didn't quote them wrong. Those are their actual quotes, yeah. but that's not what they meant, right? Yeah. The context is, is wrong. It's misleading. Uh, and it, it is concerning that they still haven't taken it down. I, I could chalk this up to like, well, you know, lives get busy and maybe he forgot or maybe he told someone to do it and they didn't do it and he doesn't know. Yeah. Maybe it'll get taken down tomorrow. But the the pattern is here of of misleading cookie yeah. people, and that's concerning. Absolutely. So yeah, again, you know, four years. Uh, that's a lot of time. That's kind of passed since saying something's going to happen, and it happens. Um, okay. So I want to kind of move over a little bit to now actually the translation itself. Um, I think you know we've kind of covered and at least given some thoughts to think about who this tra- person is that's doing the translation. Uh, so then the translation itself. Uh, maybe let's start with the name, the Passion Translation. Where did the name come from? Oh, well, see, now this is a story you'll only get if, if it seems Brian only tells a story when he's in really, really charismatic. Now I'm charismatic, so this is not an insult, okay? But he's in a very strongly charismatic church. That's where he'll tell this story. If he's not, he won't tell it. But, but he says he encountered an angel and the angel's name was Passion. And this angel has been assisting him in ministry for a while now. And so he named the, the translation, the Passion Translation. Yeah. And I think it's important to point out, and I've heard you say this before, and I see this myself as I've watched a lot of videos of Brian Simmons, is that he's selective in kind of where he shares certain bits of information. So on the website, it's, it does seem that way. And the website, it talks about using uh, Greek and Hebrew and Aramaic and going back to the originals. Uh, but then there are interviews that you can watch that are on YouTube where he talks about getting these secret downloads from God. Um, where, mm-hmm. where it was only through the work of the Holy Spirit that gave him secrets of the Hebrew language that allowed him to translate. Um, mm-hmm. Is there something that you know that you have to kind of add on to to this idea? Yeah, well, I mean, it, it, I, there are these two seemingly, you know, difficult statements to reconcile. One is, look, I, you know, I have all this this education and training and experience, and on the other side, it is. I couldn't do it on my own. God, God opened up the language, ancient languages to me. He showed me, quote, secrets, right? Secrets of the Hebrew and, and Greek and, and source languages. And it, it, quote, unlocks the heart of God. So these are claims about this translation that it's unique, that it's, you know, both scholarly and spirit led, that he has credentials on one hand, it seems. You, you, you seem to understand. On the other hand, it seems like he doesn't have enough. So God had to give it to him supernaturally. So this this can be a little confusing, yeah. Okay. Now, uh, another kind of uh, quote here from the website and trying to understand uh, how this uh, translation is based off of Greek, Hebrew, and Aramaic texts. Uh, he makes a couple statements here where he says, uh, the Greek speaks to the mind, while Aramaic and Hebrew speak powerfully to the heart. Do you have any idea kind of where he's going with this idea? Yeah. No. <laughs> It's, it's not like the ancient Greek people were like, I really love my wife, only my language does not allow me to tell her how much I love her because Greek only speaks to the mind. Like nobody, nobody thinks this, you know, and, and this may trade on like popular misunderstandings of language. Like we think, oh, we have the romance languages, right? Or we have 
French is so, ooh, you know, it sounds so like, ooh la la. <laughs> you know, it, it's got this like feel to it to us. Um, but this is this is definitely taking any anything of that that's legit and making it much bigger than it is. Um, there was once called, and I don't remember who it was now, who commented on this in particular, and they just said, "This is silly. Like this just isn't how language works. It's like a it's like a cartoonish version of language, and not an, a careful, thoughtful understanding of it." Yeah, and I've I've talked to people I know that uh, are very skilled in Greek and Hebrew. It's like no, there's there's not a whole lot to it. And you know, it also seems interesting of. Uh, well, we'll maybe get into that. But he, so he goes on, and I think this is important, and we've kind of touched on it. And it says, um, it's widely known that Aramaic was the language of Jesus, the apostles, and the earliest Christian, and the earliest Christian spoke. It was the dominant language in most settings Jesus taught, probably the first language of most Galileans, outside urban areas, and the common language to most Judeans. It was the lingua franca in the Middle East until around the third century. Recent biblical scholarship has begun tracing many of Jesus's teachings back to an original Aramaic source. Some even argue the original Greek manuscripts were translations of even more original Aramaic sources. So here's, I think, just an important lesson on Bible translations and, and our original sources and the manuscripts we're taking that information from. Uh, is it, should we be going back to the Aramaic because that's what Jesus spoke? Uh, you, you, here's the problem with going back to the Aramaic is that you just can't, um, we don't have the original Aramaic. So what we can do is you can, what, what I, from what I understand, right, what they'll do is they can look at the Greek and they can say the way this Greek reads, it reads like it was translated from Aramaic and they can even guess at what some of the original Aramaic might've been, but we don't actually have that Aramaic. So we're trying to reconstruct Aramaic from Greek. So we're still depending entirely upon what? the Greek, like it's all completely dependent upon the Greek and the meaning of the Greek terms and all that. Uh, but what, what Brian's doing is interesting here because he says some scholars will even say even, uh, what was the last line there? Maybe you could put it back up on the screen. Yeah. Let me, let me bring it back up here. Notice what's happening here to the, to the, to the layman, to the layman who doesn't understand this. This is some, even are you some scholars, even are you the original Greek manuscripts were translations of even more original Aramaic sources translation. So we're talking, the layman's probably thinking, oh, there's some sort of Aramaic text behind the, Aram the Greek that we have in our New Testament. What he's going to do next is he's going to go on to talk about how he's going to use the, the modern or less ancient, I should say, Aramaic text called the Peshitta. And he's using this Aramaic text. And so you're thinking it's scholars are agreeing and all this, but this is so blown out of proportion. When he says some are you, the original Greek were translations of original Aramaic, like Who's arguing that? How many exactly? And how well respected is that opinion among scholars? I think it's going to be small to none. And I, I, then he's going to leapfrog from that over to what's the Peshitta, which is a fifth century document. That's 500 years after Jesus. And it's not even the same Aramaic as Jesus spoke. But he's going to use that as though it gives us access to Jesus's original Aramaic. Now, this is confusing. Granted, it's confusing. But basically this is not a legitimate way to get to Jesus's original meaning. And I, yeah, and I think it's important to point out as well is this idea that uh, the original source, uh, the, the disciples and the apostles, they wrote in Greek, right? The New Testament is written in Greek. And so even if there's some sort of uh, Aramaic text that precedes something Greek that we have, uh, would we then say that the the Aramaic was translated to Greek and then maybe back in it or translated from Greek and then back into it or something. I mean, because they originally wrote in Greek. So how yeah. could, if the, if the original autographs were written in Greek, which they were, how do we have something earlier written that is in Aramaic? 
Yeah, we don't. So what we have is uh, we have probably a verbal Aramaic that was being spoken, although in many places, I think Jesus was speaking Greek, like his conversation with Nicodemus in John 3, that seems to have taken place in Greek. And it, and there's been a case being made for the likelihood that they would have known Greek. I mean, even even in Galilee, with on the Sea of Galilee, there were Greek and Hebrew speakers or Aramaic speakers, and they were interacting, doing business together. And, um, you know, Jesus was a carpenter up in Nazareth and they were being hired by Greek speakers to do their jobs back then. That's why they were living where they were near, near construction sites and stuff. So, so there's, yeah, there may be a spoken Aramaic there, but there, he could have spoken bilingually, could have spoken Aramaic and Greek. It was written originally in, in Greek though. And we don't get back to, uh, Basically this, every time in the footnotes, which happens a lot in the Passion Translation, where it says, the original Aramaic says, the Aramaic says, this is um, a very dangerous thing to claim. It's misleading. I, Craig Blomberg, who's doing a, he's looking at the Passion Translation uh, for me. I'll, I'll tell you about my project I'm doing yeah. in a second, if you like. But Craig Blomberg said that he, he's writing a paper on one of the books that, uh, 1 Corinthians, I believe it is, that Brian translated. But when he came across these Aramaic footnotes, he sent me an email and he said, what's this footnote, the original Aramaic, what's he talking about? And I explained to him what he means. And he says, oh, that is very troubling. Hmm. <laughs> and he said, I could do a whole paper just on how weird that is. Yeah. Um, so this is not like he's, he quotes scholars, like he's re referencing them, but he's way off the reservation when it comes to the Aramaic stuff. Yeah. Well, I think that's good again. So we pointed out at the very beginning that you've had conversations with Brian's colleagues from the new tribes and now Ethos 360. You've had conversations with Brian Simmons himself where you've been able to express some of these concerns. But now, as you just kind of hinted at, and your your channel has, is that you have started the Passion Project, where you are now reaching out to biblical scholars to get them to write papers on certain topics. Can you share a little bit about what that is? Yeah, well, here's the thing, right? If Brian's right in his visions and his, and his claims about what God is doing to enable him, then what you can do is take his finished product and show it to scholarship, not hostile scholars, just scholars who do work in translating. And they can say, wow, look at how great he did. He's so insightful in the original languages, right? If, if, if these visions are true, then they're going to be like two thumbs up, you know, yeah. what a great translation. Um, but consistently the response from scholarship has been the opposite. The problem is no scholars looking at this. So what I'm doing is I'm actually hiring scholars hmm. to study individual books of the passion translation and then write a paper giving just an honest, no filter. I'm not requiring them to write anything specific, just their honest evaluation of the work. Then I'm going to do a short interview with them. I'm going to put it all on video and it's going to be totally free for everybody. Um, and I'm specifically hiring scholars that all have high reputations in their field and they specialize in the specific books that they're evaluating in the Passion Translation. So I just, I feel like this is the response that's needed for this work. Um, it's either going to be, hey, this is great, or it's going to be the opposite or somewhere in the middle, whatever it is, it'll get the truth out there, you know? Yeah. And it, and it really seems again, like if this is a, hey, this is great, uh, you really truly have unlocked these secrets of the, of the Hebrew language and you really yeah. are truly exposing the pa true passion and heart of God. This is something we yeah. should all be reading. Yeah, I'll be teaching from it. Yeah. I mean, I'd be excited if this is the case. But at the I'm, same time, I'm open to that. Yeah, but at the same time, it seems like if this is not accurate, if it's not an accurate representation of God's word, if it's not the true passion of God's heart, if it is taking a lot of liberties that should not be taken, and these biblical scholars who are knowledgeable in this say, no, that shouldn't happen, it seems like none of us should be reading it. Yeah. If you know, if I can seek, if I can look at the translation to confirm that, wow, his claims about enablement from God really look true, well, then I can also look at it to say, hey, those claims don't look like they actually really happen that way. Yeah. Whatever's going on here, I think this thing's going to have to be set aside. And that that would be, um, 
the conclusion that we're going to end up at. I've already read a couple of the papers I've got from the scholars. I'm still waiting on others to come in. But um, so far, it's been consistent and it's it's not been uh, terribly positive, although they do try to offer positive comments where they yeah. can. That's good. Well, uh, man, we, uh, my goodness, it's already 40 minutes in. How did the, how did the time go by so quickly? Um, <laughs> That's what happens. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I know. We're, we're still at uh, issues about the translation. We will get to verse by verse comparisons. We'll quickly maybe go over some of those, some of the theology behind it, and then uh, some more I'll, I'll do questions. I'll do quick answers here. There you go, quick answers. Now, uh, I do want to bring this up because uh, on the website as well, it says, this is not a translation of a specific denomination or group, but this is something uh, true for everybody. But you have mm-hmm. uh, created, I think you said you created yourself, a word chart. Uh, showing specific mm-hmm. words uh, and how they're used in the Passion Translation compared to other translations. And so I'm going to bring this up here really quick uh, and see what if you have any kind of comments that you want to share uh, on this word chart. Yeah. So you, I've got videos where I've talked about this, and you can look at it on my on my YouTube channel. Just type the Passion Translation. It's in the second video in that playlist where I talk about um, uh, the agenda in the Passion Translation. But basically, here's the deal. I spent a lot of time studying sort of this one particular um, extreme charismatic group. And again, I'm charismatic. I'm for the gifts. But this group is, is, is fairly extreme. And I spent a lot of time studying them. What I noticed when I looked at the Passion Translation was that some of the buzzwords they use in this group, they appeared in this translation where they never appear in any other translation, like any other translation. So I started looking at the occurrence of these words that are like buzzwords in this one sort of small microcosm of, you know, strong charismatic, you know, behaviors. I, I, I looked at those buzzwords in the translation and then compared them to the occurrence of those words in other translations. And that's the chart you're looking at. So words like realm, prophetic, anointed, activate, expression, promise, these occur so many more times in the passion than they do in the ESV, New King James, NIV, NASB, or really any other translation that you have to say, these are being put here for some reason other than the original language, right? These are being put here because, in, in my theory is, they're being put here because um, either Brian just loves these words and wants to see them in the scripture, he feels like they express things so the verse can say stuff that he wants it to say, but also it's a preaching point for people who are part of these, these circles who use these buzzwords, but they don't find these buzzwords in the Bible. Well, guess what? Now they've got a bunch of verses they can quote to get their theology into the text that bothers me a little bit, you know? Yeah. We shouldn't have to do that to be able to teach our, our theology. And we'll see in some of the verse by verses that we're going to bring up here in a second uh, that, you know, uh, a realm is used quite a bit in a few of them, and we'll kind of talk about it that when we get there, as well as yeah. um, uh, the anointed one. I think that is kind of the end quote or the end video that we're going to see, I think is very important on how the anointed one kind of comes out. Uh, but also, um, yeah. you know, so I just, I just had a conversation about this, uh, and I'd love to hear your thoughts on it as well with um, Jeff, uh, Jeff Myers from Summit Ministries on his new book that just came out on 10 Christian cliches and uh, rethinking them to discover biblical truths. And one of them being this idea that Christianity is a relationship, not a religion. Uh, but you also see this idea yeah. kind of presented here where the word religious and religion are used quite mm. uh, a lot more than yeah. um, than in other translations. And so kind of what did you find about the use of religion and religious here and how that kind of plays in with this idea that Christianity is a relationship, not a religion? Yeah. Okay. So yeah, that's a modern myth. Christianity is a relationship, not a religion. I mean, it's true that it's a relationship, but it's not true that relationship and religion are antithetical to each other. That's not true. Like that's not biblically accurate. But, uh, but this seems to be this kind of, you know, thinking seems to be going on in the translation itself, not in the Bible, but in the passion translation. So for instance, the word religious, you see it's used 141 times, whereas say in the new King James, it's only used four, four times. Why is it used so many times in the Passion? Well, 
it's always used in a negative context. 141 times, it's just about every single time it's negative. So scribes or Pharisees, they're not just called scribes, they're called religious scholars, which is a wrong representation of scribe, right? They're scribes. The term doesn't mean religious scholar, but he calls them religious scholars. Why? To come maybe to set the ground for dismissing people like me, who just, you study and you logic chop and you do all your research. <laughs> like, I don't know, maybe that's the reason. Um, but he always uses religion in a negative context. The one time though, where everybody uses the word religion, he doesn't use it in James, where it says that religion that is pure and undefiled before God is this, to visit widows and orphans in their trouble and to keep yourself unspotted from the world. It's the one time he won't translate it religion. It's the time everybody else does. And what is it translated the idea there? here is, um, he, oh gosh, what is he? Oh, I can't remember. I have to look it up. Okay. I don't have it right in front of me. Yeah. But what, what he does do though, is the one time the Bible has a very clear, very clear verse that shows that there's a kind of religion that God approves of that not all religions bad, but there's a religion that, God, that is approving of that God is happy with. He changes the word so that religion always only looks bad in the passion translation. What is the verse this, James? Um, let's see, I can, I'll look it up for you. Okay. Let's see here. Um, here. I don't remember exactly off the top of my head either. Yeah. So it's James one twenty seven, and I do have the passion translation. So true spirituality is, that is pure in the eyes of, uh, our father God is to make a difference in the lives of the orphans and widows and their troubles and to refuse to be corrupted by the world's values. Um, yeah, there you it's go. interesting puts values there instead of just be unspotted. But yeah. anyway, that's adding meaning to the text that's not there. But true spirituality is, is used instead of religion. Now, what's weird is one verse before that, he, um, or is it one verse before? Let's see. Yeah, he translates the same Greek word, religion. It's in verse 26. If, if someone believes they have a relationship with God but fails to guard his words, then his heart is drifting away and his religion is shallow and empty. Then it should say, pure and undefiled religion before God is, and it gives you what good religion is versus bad religion, yeah. which is what we really should be thinking about. Yeah. All right. So as we get into some of these uh, verses, I, I, I want to pull up a, a couple quotes again from the website to to just hear what they have to say about their own translation, uh, to not misrepresent their own view on what they think the translation is. And then we're going to look at some of these verses and, and then just you'll have to decide as you watch, uh, does this uh, do what they uh, claim that it does. So here uh, for a second, um, pulling up some of these. So here it says, um, Brian and other reviewers have sought to remain faithful to the original biblical languages by preserving their literal meaning, yet flexible enough to convey God's original message in a way modern English speakers can understand. So to be faithful to the biblical uh, meaning. We also have here the Passion Translation is an essential equivalence translation. Uh, the TPT, so that would be one that, you know, just take a few liberties, but not uh, uh, word for word literal but it's more kind of thought-for-thought thought translation. Um, the TPT maintains the essential form and essential function of the original words. It's a meaning-for-meaning meaning translation, translating the essence of God's original message into the heart of modern English. Uh, the uh, TPT, it is an entirely new, fresh translation using original Greek, Hebrew, and Aramaic documents. And then finally, the goal of the Passion Translation is to recapture the emotion of God's word, for emotion is vital to God's message. So my quick question before we jump into some of these verses and, and comparing them is, uh, if we are recapturing God's emotion, did we somehow lose God's emotion originally? Um, here's where you, you won't get a clear answer, I don't think, from the, from the, the stuff on the Passion Translation, because it's going to sound like, look, there's secrets, there's stuff that's never been in any of the English translations ever. It's been effectively, the impression is, it's been hidden away, and now you can be 
exposed to the heart of God as it was always meant to be. But he'll say, but I'm not, you know, at the same time, I'm not saying the other translations are lacking anything. So I, I don't, I don't know what to do with that information. It just sounds like he doesn't want to offend anybody, which yeah. is, can be respectful until you're actually just muddying the waters of truth with it. Yeah. You know, <laughs> Yeah. So, uh, but notice that he says he wants to preserve meaning essential meaning, not changing, or in fact, he uses the term in the first quote you put, preserve meaning. He's going to preserve the meaning of the original. That is what translators are supposed to do, right? Preserve yeah. the meaning. And that is definitely what the Passion uh, sometimes does and frequently does not. Okay. So let's pull up some of these verses and kind of get your thoughts yeah. on them here. Uh, so the first one we have here is uh, John 1, 1, very common verse that hopefully many of us know, you know, in the beginning was the word, the word was with God and the word was God. He was in the beginning with God. In the Passion Translation, we have in the very beginning, the living expression was already there and the living expression was with god yet fully god they were there face to face in the very beginning uh do you have any comments on here um well what does living expression mean <laughs> what does that mean i get logos you know the, the word that's translated there in verse one is a challenging word um and it has there's there's a whole discussion over how how should we be translating this word here but what i want to know is what impact does this translation have on our Christology? It says that, you know, he was fully God. It, well, the Greek just says he was God. It doesn't have the word fully. Hmm. It doesn't say fully there or completely. There's no, there's no Greek that says fully or completely there. So he adds fully. He, it says there in the beginning of the living expression was already there was where, wait, now there's a location. John one doesn't speak of locality. Hmm. It speaks of the beginning. It doesn't talk about aware. And so that's just, I mean, if you're doing careful theology on this very, very careful the theological verse, it just seems like it's problematic and it may actually result in some impact to our Christology. I'm not sure. And we'll see. I think that there is an impact to Christology uh, in the videos that we'll see at the very end. Now, what about this idea, like in the very beginning, is that adjective there? Very... <laughs> very beginning yeah there's rather than just in the beginning it just is in the beginning and if anything john is probably hearkening us back to genesis 1 in the beginning god created the heavens and the earth um that's probably what john is 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 you know reminding us of it's a creation account it's just saying in the very beginning right in the beginning so i'm reading <laughs> i'm reading the passion on my yeah. screen while i'm talking that that doesn't help <laughs> i'm getting it wrong uh but it just it's just saying that in the beginning in that creation uh you know time or moment here we have the word and he already is existing so he's he simply exists he's not created that's really important in john one he's not created and he is the creator so he's participating in creating and he's joined to god in being and this is this is a really deep and important uh theological passage so yeah yeah awesome uh next verse uh here in galatians 2 20 Mm -hmm. uh, I've been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not nullify the grace of God, for if righteousness were through the law, then Christ died for no purpose. Uh, obviously here a lot longer. My old identity has been crucified with a Messiah and no longer lives, for the nails of the cross crucified me with him. And now the essence of this new life is no longer mine, for the anointed one lives his life through me. We live in union as one. My new life is empowered by the faith of the Son of God who loves me so much that he gave himself for me and dispenses his life into mine. It's so, it's just weird. This translation is strange. Okay, in, in verse 20, he, he says he was co-crucified. 
I don't know. <laughs> okay, he calls Christ Messiah. Okay, in the Greek, it's Christos. But he's translating the Greek into the Hebrew and then giving us a, a, a what's the term, um, from the Hebrew over, over to English without translating. Um, what's the term in, lingu- in language for that? I'm just blanking on it. I don't know. Um, when you, when you, you phonetically, you pronounce a word the way it's pronounced, you know, in oh, the new language okay. that's from the old one. Yeah. What's the term for that? I don't know. Anyway, <laughs> uh, so he uses Messiah. He translates Christos as Messiah in verse 20. Later on, it's used again, and he translates it as anointed one. Why is he doing this? Why is he translating the same word in the same context, talking about the same person in two totally different ways? This is strange. He's been criticized for this particular move, and he might be changing it in, up, in updates to the Passion Translation. Who knows? Uh, but he's but then he's got this whole phrase for the nails of his cross crucified me with him. Uh, this is completely fabricated out of thin air. That's why it's in, in italics. Fortunately, completely fabricated out of thin air, and it doesn't seem to go along with the idea that um, by faith I'm identified with Christ. But it 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 actually speaks of the cross as though. I was physically nailed onto it with him, which which sounds graphic and maybe appeals to people in some way, but that's adding whole concepts or meanings that we don't see in the original. And I think it's important I, I mean, to point out here, because uh, he comments on this. By the way, in the comments, uh, Josh commented in and said, a transliteration, is that the what you're looking for? That's the term, Trans, transliterating it, yes. From from Messiah, yeah. the Hebrew, over to Messiah, in, transliterated to English. Yeah. So, Skip Greek. <laughs> so Brian Simmons uh, comments on this and says, you, you will notice a time we have italicized certain words or phrases. These highlighted portions are not in the original Hebrew, Aramaic, or Greek manuscripts, but are implied from the context and their essential meaning. They expand the essential meaning of the original language by highlighting the essence of God's original message. This practice is a common one used by many mainstream translations, including King James Version, New American Standard Bible, where the original language requires clarification. Such translations have added English words. Yeah. Um, most of that's very true, um, except for the phrase Aramaic manuscripts. Okay. There are no original Aramaic manuscripts. They don't exist. This is, this yeah. is, this is misleading. Um, we have 500 years later in a different dialect of Aramaic and it came from Greek. It didn't even come from Jesus's, uh, terms. So <clears throat> that aside, yeah, they, they use italics, but, but these italics that you see here are adding things that aren't implied in the original language. That's the problem. Yeah. Well, and it is everything that has been added in italics. Not even remotely. Right. Not even remotely. There, so there may be things in this verse that I'm, I'm looking at now. I didn't, I didn't point it out. I think uh, it was, or, yeah. So like here at the end, uh, you dispense, he dispenses his life into mine. And I'm looking oh, here yeah, at the verse. other side, uh, over in the, at least in the ESV, like there's nothing that says, and he def- dispenses his life into mine. So at least there are times where they've added things and it's like, Hey, here's what we've added. And we put it in italics. So, you know, then it seems like there's yeah. other parts where it, that doesn't look like it's in the original, at least how the ESV would translate it. And uh, it's not in italics. There will be a lot more italics. Um, I, I, would, I would venture to say the Passion uses italics in a minority of places where it should use italics. Like it more, most often doesn't. So yeah, dispenses his life into mine is, should be italicized. It's, it's added. Yeah. yeah, we'll see that in a couple other verses here coming up. So for another one, uh, Psalm 19.1. Can I, any thoughts that you have on this? I guess we don't have to necessarily read all of them. <laughs> Be here forever. Yeah, let me <clears throat> let me say this. Uh, Psalm 19, verse 1, and say the ESV, normal translation, it's 14 words long. 14 words. In the Passion Translation, it's 46 words long. And none of them are in italics. <laughs> none of them are in italics, right? The truth is, the majority of the words should be in italics. 
It should say the heavens declare the glory of God and the sky above proclaims his handiwork. Now, he could translate sky differently, firmament, expanse. Like these are these are translators options, right? For handiwork, maybe he could say his labors or something like that, right? Th- these are instead of proclaims, he maybe he could say preaches. These are options for translators. Uh, maybe they're bad options, but they're options for translators. His version of Psalm 19.1 instead, it says, God's splendor is a tale that is told. His testament is written in the stars. Space itself speaks his story every day through the marvels of the heavens. His truth is on tour. On tour? What does that even mean in a Hebrew context in ancient Israel? His truth is on tour in the starry vault of the sky showing his skill in creation's craftsmanship. A lot of that is added. Um, Other times it's not so much added as it is double and triple translating phrases along with adding filler words. So you have the same phrase used multiple times as if it was said four times by the author, you know? Yeah. And I think this, you know, this is important. Uh, uh, And there's other verses that point this out of the double and triple translation of like, here's three different words or three different things that this could mean. And so then we say all three of them, right? At the same time versus all three were not said. Only one of them was said originally. Yeah. All right. Yeah, uh, it's it's reckless. Per, let's move along here. Uh, song of song. Um, I'm trying to remember. Let's kind of let's skip this one, I guess, really quick. Uh, Matthew, the Lord's Prayer. Mm-hmm. Uh, any thoughts? Yeah. Here so on we're the we're familiar with the Lord's Prayer already, right? We we know that one already. There's a lot of addition that goes on here. So you know, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done. We know the, the Lord's Prayer. He has it as pray like this: Our Father dwelling in the heavenly realms. Not our father in heaven, but our father dwelling in the heavenly realms. Heavenly realms is a buzzword for the, for his his um, hyper charismatic type group. So heavenly realms is a big deal to them. And that was one so of the words. And that was one of the words I said we'll come back to in the chart right here, where you have realm ESV zero times and NKGB zero, uh, NIV ten and ASB one hundred ninety six in the in the Passion translation. Yeah, and here's where it pops up a, a couple times here in Matthew six. Yeah. So, um, you know, God's in the heavenly realms. And in verse 10, he says, manifest your kingdom realm and cause your every purpose to be fulfilled on earth just as it is fulfilled in heaven. We acknowledge you as our provider of all we need each day. That's from give us this day our daily bread. It's a straightforward request. Lord, give us the food that we need today. That's literally a request for food. Okay. My basic needs. But instead it says, we acknowledge you as our provider of all we need each day which is just changes the whole meaning. It's not a request. It's a, it's a faith proclamation now. Mm. Verse 12, forgive us the wrongs we have done as we ourselves release forgiveness to those who've wronged us. Releasing forgiveness is, I don't even know what a, that means. Well, it can mean, I guess, whatever you want it to mean, but it's, it's, you give, there, you, is that giving forgiveness? Like I'm choosing to forgive you. Is that releasing forgiveness? Um, yeah, it, it's, it sounds, it, it just sounds more pompous than normal forgiveness, I guess. <laughs> I don't know. But the point is that release is not there. The word release is not there. That was added completely. And notice all the italics. Yeah, there aren't any. Because he's just adding words without informing his readers that he's adding words. This is irresponsible and it's misleading. And I, I like how you, I It's like misleading how you, about what God said. Yeah. And I like how you pointed this out of uh, – because I think the, the normal kind of response is going to be, well – Look, you you add a few things. This isn't changing any meaning. This is just you know putting it in ways that maybe we understand. What's the big deal? Why are you sitting here uh, pointing out him just kind of adding a few words to make something sound a little bit better? But I like how mm-hmm. you pointed out in verse eleven, uh, it, it actually is changed. It's it's changed from declaring to God, uh, "Hey, provide," to now a statement of faith of "You are a provider," right? And so there is a different meaning that's coming through uh, in some of these verses. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, 
Yeah. All right, let's let's move along because I want to get to one that really kind of affects Christology, and it, and it happens here, right? So we have about three or four verses that come together that really show this. Uh, but here at the very beginning, uh, again, talking about uh, Galatians 3, are you so foolish? Have you begun by the Spirit? Are you now being perfected by the flesh? Uh, did you suffer so many things in vain, if indeed it was in vain? And over here in verse 3, it says, uh, your new life is in the anointed one, began with the Holy Spirit, giving you a new birth. Why then would you so foolishly turn from the living to the spirit by trying to finish, oh wait, uh, living in the spirit by trying to finish by your own works? Uh, any comments here on this idea and especially kind of that pointing out of the anointed one? Yeah, it was interesting when I found he was using the anointed one sporadically, like sometimes he'll call Jesus the anointed one, sometimes Messiah, sometimes Christ. Um, he just he just translates the same word inconsistently. Uh, most translations try to translate Christ consistently. Uh, pick pick one and go with it, you know, for consistency. But I was yeah, I was curious about that. Why does he keep calling Jesus the anointed one? And to me, it was actually connected when I hit um, Acts chapter eleven verse twenty six, because in Acts eleven twenty six, this is the where in most translations it's going to say, hey, this is where. Um, they were first called Christians. It was in Antioch. It was the yeah. first place they were called Christians. But he totally changes that. And he says in his version that this is where it was. <laughs> you got to read yeah, it. In their I have it, right right? Here. it was in Antioch that the followers of Jesus were first revealed as anointed ones. And it's in quotes. And it's not a name they're called. It's a revelation about their identity. This is com this is not probably what is meant. Um, actually, most likely when we were called Christianos or like little Christs, what we were probably being called is a mocking term. They were making fun of Christians. They were giving them a nickname to laugh at them. And eventually we, you know, like a lot of times you're like, fine, call me a Jesus freak, you know, <laughs> like yeah. call me that. I'll claim it. That's who I am. But it's not a revelation. It's something that they are called by others and eventually becomes like a regular title for them. Um, so he calls them anointed ones. And then like the, like it clicked. I was like, wait a minute in, in this circle, in this sort of circle with Bethel and Bill Johnson and these, these churches that have the same kind of, um, bubble of thinking about the gifts in this circle, they often want to relate you to Jesus. They want to say, you're just like Jesus. You can do miracles just like Jesus. Everything he did, you can do. You're exactly like him in this world. The way he was when he was walking there, that's the way you are right now. There's really no significant difference between you. And so by calling Jesus the anointed one and then having a verse later, like this big moment where the Bible says, and then it was revealed that you were the anointed ones. You're just like Jesus. And I thought, oh, this is, this, this is the Christology getting yeah. into the text. This is translating unjustified, unjustified translating in order to put theological meaning into a text that's not normally there. Yeah. And and that's a video that we're, I'm going to show you here in just a moment where Bill, uh, sorry, Bill Johnson, where Brian Simmons is uh, making this connection of Christ and the anointed ones. Now, a quick kind of question or pushback is, well, didn't, and I know that he points to this. In fact, you know, uh, even Brian Simmons had a, a, a vision where he went up into the heavenly uh, library and he was going to take these books. And one of the books was John 22. Um, and the question is, well, John only has 21 chapters. What's John 22? And Brian Simmons says, well, that's like, think, uh, connected to John 14, where, right, Jesus says, I have to leave, I'll send my Holy Spirit, so you will do greater works than me. So isn't there this connection that Jesus did said that we will do greater work? So if Jesus did this, then we can make that connection that we, he is in us and we are now doing things uh, in him. 
Well, I have, I have a whole video on what, what Jesus meant by the whole greater works thing, and I don't think that that was the meaning. Um, and I think when we look at the book of Acts, we don't see the kind of thing he's talking about. But but the revelation about John 22 has gotten him in some hot water because people are like, wait a minute. You mean you're telling us you are going to add to the Bible another yeah. chapter? Like you're just saying, I'm going to add to the Bible. I have new information. And so he later walks this back and he was like, oh, no, I'm not adding anything to the Bible. But, but before he said that, um, he had said he had to revel this. John 22 is like information from God but he's not released yet to give it out to people, right? Yeah. He has to hold on to it. He And a lot of people in his circle will do this. It's normal for people who call themselves prophets, whether they are or not, it's just a normal habit where they say, hey, I have prophecies that I can't tell you about yet. I have information still, I have to hold it back. I haven't been released to give it out yet. So that's what he's saying. He's got this special revelation that's coming in the future. Yeah, so I wanna show you this video uh, and, uh, where Brian Johnson is making this connection and why to me, Brian this, Simmons. Or sorry, Brian Simmons, I'm, <laughs> I'm just Bill Johnson, Brian Simmons, I'm connecting everything. I'm mixing everything. Yeah. Anyways, uh, at least I'm not saying Mike Winger's doing it. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Uh, where Brian Simmons is now what, doing what I think is one of the biggest issues uh, and, and most serious things that we need to consider when reading the scriptures, we see that I think this Christology is working its way into the text. The Christ is the anointed one. You are now called the anointed ones. And what is the connection that he makes here with this? And so I want to show you this video uh, as we see what his Christology seems uh, to be. We are one with Jesus Christ. You cannot divide asunder what God has put together. It's not good for the Son of Man to be alone. He has chosen a bride, and he's now a 200% human being. He is God and man mingled as one, and we are now mingled into him. So really quick, I do have a question for you here on just a basic Christology question. Uh, this idea mm -hmm. of Jesus being a 200% human or a 200% man, uh, is that yeah. the way in which we should uh, explain uh, Jesus and his nature is 200%? I wouldn't recommend it. Um, it seems meaningless because 100% of something is all that that thing is. <laughs> yeah. So he's... What does it mean to be 200% of something? I don't, I, I literally don't know what it means. Yeah. I would say Jesus is, uh, and, and old creeds say things like Jesus is truly man and truly God. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Like, so it's, he's truly, in truth, he is human. In yeah. truth, he is God. And the, that's a better way to proclaim it. Yeah. Yeah. And I, and I would just change it slightly. And I normally say he is fully man and fully God. Yeah. Um, and so rather than, you know, what does it mean to be 200%? All right, let's continue. We carry like Mary. We dispense the divine. We are carriers of the glory. There is a divine union that has already taken place inside of us. I am in Christ. All of his righteousness is in me. All. You know, you, you probably heard it before, you know, where it says God, God says, I won't share my glory with another. I will not share my glory with another. You're not another. You're one with him. You are one with the, with the three in one. How does it feel to be included now in the triune essence of God Almighty? You have been blended into the triune God. We are one. All right. So he, he just goes on to what it means to get more and more on what it means to be one. Now, mm -hmm. you, you've had more conversations with him, you know, him and, and other people and done more research. Yeah. And to me, what that sounds like is he says, God will not share his glory with another. Well, you're not another. You are blended into the triune God. You are one with the three in one. That on the surface looks like, and I could be wrong, but that looks like he's saying that we almost like become God or that we 
in that same thing. If we are anointed ones, Christ is anointed one. Everything yeah. that is true of Jesus is true of you. Well, Jesus is God. Does that mean I'm God? This gets scary. To um, me. Let me see. I have not heard that that, that clip before. Okay. <laughs> so I don't know where you found it. I haven't heard that one. I heard another clip where Brian Simmons said that everything that can be said about Jesus can be said about you. And I shared that clip on Facebook and I was like, guys, I don't, I mean, this was his clip. I didn't cut it out. So it was, the whole context was there from what he gave us. And I was like, this looks like a heresy to me. And I shared it. And then he deleted the clip off of his Facebook page after I shared it. And I, I, that was one of the reasons that started me reaching out. I'm like, he's listening to me. Maybe we could dialogue, you know? So my understanding was he deleted that clip because he felt like it didn't represent his views. But when you play this clip, I go, wait a minute. He's just saying the same thing in a different way. Um, in my mind, what he just said sounds very much like heresy. Yeah. I haven't had time to like sit and think about it or, or listen to the rest of the context of the video. But if, if, if that was being taught and I was in the environment, I would, I would feel obligated to say, wait a minute, stop. Either take it back or clarify it in a way that makes it sound like it doesn't sound, you know? <laughs> yeah. And I'll, I'll put this, it's yeah. not there right now. And I'll put this, I'll put the full, it's a 40, about 44, 45, maybe 50 minute uh, sermon that he's giving at a church. And I'll put the full video in the description below. You can, you can check it out. This is about 18 minutes in. Uh, there's another yeah. point at about 30 or 40 minutes in where he says, uh, again, playing off this idea that Jesus is a 200% man or whatever he was, the way he phrased it. Uh, he says that we become 200% too. And it's like, whoa, 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 whoa. Yeah. <laughs> um, that sounds like heresy. It sounds like it sounds like heresy to me. You're implying that God shares his glory with me. Um, and, and this is different than me being glorified. Right? There's a glorification that comes upon us, but you're saying God shares his glory with me and implying that there is no limit to the sharing. And his identity is shared with me and implying that there's no limit to that identity, whereas instead it is, um, <clears throat> I'm joined to him in relationship. I'm not him in identity. The, sounds like heresy. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> Sorry, how but... does it feel to be included into the triune essence? I mean, when we talk about God as one essence, like that is his divine nature. Yeah. And to be included in the divine essence, it sounds like a claim to be God. And so again, this is where I go, whoa, 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 put on the brakes. Now he could have something different. I've watched the full video. I don't mm-hmm. think the context helps it. You can you can also be the judge of that. You're um, you're probably right. I just I don't want to come off too strong here. I don't oh, want to yeah. assume too much. Absolutely. Try to be as gracious as possible. But sometimes trying to be gracious gracious as possible just gives more rope to people who shouldn't have rope. Yeah. And sometimes we 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 err on the side of caution sometimes too much. And I, I've done that before. And hopefully I'm not yeah. doing that here. Yeah. Um, and He's so, got some explaining to do. Absolutely, <laughs> absolutely. And, and again, and the whole reason for this interview, as we said at the beginning, is, is I want to uh, present uh, some things that you should know before reading this Bible. And if you learn these things and you go, you know, I don't think it's a big deal. I'm going to keep using it. Okay, you're now aware. Uh, but I think that a lot of Christians are, are caught by this thinking, wow, this is just a beautifully worded Bible. There's nothing, no big difference between anything else. And hopefully, Shane, there's a big difference uh, in the, 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 um, the training of the translator, of the very translation philosophy, of the words that are used that goes into it, of ideas that are presented, of how some meanings have been changed, and now here, how some Christology has crept in, saying that you are called anointed ones, just as Jesus is the anointed one, and him saying these things. That sure seems to me like something that goes, I need to be careful. Uh, maybe mm-hmm. I should not be reading this. Again, And if you are reading it, at least being aware of some of these ways in which the scripture has been changed. 
Um, okay, we are past time, but I want to uh, get into some practical questions. Um, and so okay. again, I'll, I'll kind of go through and see if there's other questions that came in in the chat, uh, but some kind of more of the practical things. And so mm -hmm. what would you say then uh, to those who are in, because uh, again, I, I think it's important to point out, like I'm not a cessationist, you're not either. We do believe that the spirit is at work today. We believe in, 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 the, in the giftings of the Holy Spirit. Um, yeah. So what would you say though about uh, people who are in maybe this more charismatic movement who are around a lot more people uh, that use the Passion Translation, how should they respond to, um, to people around them using this translation? Well, it's easy for the cessationists, right? Because as soon as they hear someone say, I had a vision, they're like, wrong. <laughs> it's easy for them. <clears throat> but for us who believe that someone may have really had a vision, that God may have really spoken to somebody, it's on us to vet that claim. If we don't do this, we're violating scripture, which says to not to believe every spirit, but to test all things and hold fast to that, which is good. And so we have to test all things. <clears throat> and this is, um, <clears throat> excuse me, this is seen as quenching the spirit in some movements. But I want to say if testing all things quenches the spirit, it wasn't the spirit you were quenching. You're quenching something else and it ought to be quenched. <laughs> if, yeah, if it can't, if it can't go through a godly open test, for validation, for confirmation, then then um, then I, I do want to set it aside. This is a healthy thing. We should do this. We have to exercise the most discernment because we are the ones that are open to, to these things. Yeah, and now I'm curious if this is kind of a response to you uh, and to what we're saying here uh, on the website where it's under the section titled, um, is the tra Passion Translation considered a good translation for serious study? Uh, they give uh, the benefits uh, and several ways of why this is good for serious study. Uh, this one here says, uh, this version taps into the love language of God, letting the words of scripture go through the human soul, past the defense of our mind and into the spirit. Now, when I read this, it immediately caught my attention of this idea of past the defense of the mind. Uh, would we be using our mind too much in not letting the love language of God get into our souls and transform us? Is this something having to do with a religious scholar statement and, and being too theological? It's, it's, this, is, this is just gobbledygook. This doesn't mean, it, these words, this sentence doesn't even mean anything. I'm sorry. Uh, it taps into the love language of God. There is no such thing as the love language of God. Letting the words of scripture go through the human soul. What does that mean? Nothing. Past the defenses of our mind. What does that mean? Zero. <laughs> and into our spirit. How do words, I don't, I don't understand what this sentence even means in the real world. It's flowery language. It's like asking some artists to explain really popular songs they wrote where the lyrics are super flowery and they go, well, you know, and you realize the artist doesn't even know what it means. <laughs> like that happens sometimes. Um, this is weird nonsense. God's word has not been bound and blinded by our obstinate minds refusing to hear his love language because of poor translating of the past. Like that's yeah. not the case. Yeah. This is, this is just a way of, of, um, puffing up the translation to be something it's not. Yeah. And I, and I wonder even, you know, Sarah Zimmerman coming in and, uh, and I know you know her, but, uh, you know, good theology is loving God with our minds, right? We're called to love God with that's all of right. our heart, soul, strength, mm -hmm. and mind. And so, uh, how do we love God with our mind while at the same time letting his scripture or his love language 
slip past the defenses of our mind. Yes. Obviously, my mind doesn't love God because it's 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 going to it's like it's like art fighting against his love. God's like, I love you. And I'm like, not while I'm thinking about it. (laughs) (laughs) So, yeah, that's a perfect verse to talk about that. Yeah. Yeah. Love God with all your mind. Um, We love God with our mind. We don't love love God by bypassing our minds. Yeah. Uh, A question from Dakota friends. Um, What is a quick one, two, three refute for this translation? Um, Ooh, that's, that's a tough one because it, it's, it's a massive translation. Um, one, two, three reviewed is the, the author, um, doesn't have proper credentials. He adds a lot to the text. You can see this by simply reading verses in the, in his translation and verses in any other normal translation. You can see he's adding to the text. He adds meaning and every scholar who's taken a look at it doesn't have anything. Well, doesn't have much good to say about it. I, I guess so his the training issues, the obvious things you see in the translation that are problematic that anybody can look at if they just compare a chapter in the Passion, pick a chapter, compare it to a chapter in a different Bible yeah. translation, and then um, what uh, scholars are actually saying about it. Absolutely. Yeah, and here is uh, my, so my old roommate, uh, the linguist, did join in our conversation. He's been interacting here, but he says, you know, the translator is not really qualified. He adds the text stuff that is not in any way actually in the original meaning of the text. And I remember when I first discovered the Passion Translation, uh, I walked out in our living room where he was studying, and uh, he's always reading in Greek and Hebrew, and I said, hey, what do you think about this? And he's like, that word is just not there. Um, Nobody knows this better than the guys that know translating, yeah. right? Because they, they look at this stuff and they go, oh, no. Oh, no, he didn't. Oh, no way. Oh, no. And and they're not just seeing, oh, this is appealing. They're like going, that's unjustified uh, is what they're seeing. Yeah. yeah. So I, I had a friend I read. Um, he, I read the, uh, a verse from uh, Jude, and I, he was like, I love Jude, uh, or Philemon. It was Philemon. And he goes, I love Philemon. I said, pick a verse from Philemon that you love. I think it was Philemon that we did this with. And he picked a verse, and I read it to him, and he went, oh, no. And he ended up writing a whole paper on Philemon and about how it was poorly translated. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's just obvious to people who are in the know. Let me let me give you a couple of quotes from, from some scholars. I, I haven't written down here somewhere. Well, um, as you're finding that here's you know Josue again he's he's my scholar expert he, you know he's who I go to but here again he says you know I can't recall the New Testament referring to Christians as anointed ones, um, not there in the original languages. Mm-hmm. Thanks Josue. Okay, so yeah, it doesn't happen. So uh, Craig Blomberg, who's one of the guys who's done a write up, um, well respected guy. If you know scholarship, you already know his name, right? Um, he says, "quote This is from the paper that he wrote for the project I'm doing. I'll give you a quote, a little sneak peek." He says, "It probably should have a surgeon." general's warning on it about its potential hazards. Now, this guy starts his his survey by saying, I'm excited about even paraphrases. I like translations. I like a variety. I like paraphrases. But his conclusion on the passion says, give it a surgeon general warning. Uh, Trimper Longman, he said the following in his, in his paper on the passion, studying the Song of Songs. He says, the passion translation is a deeply flawed presentation of the Song of Songs. Its imposition of an allegorical interpretation represses the primary meaning. One can't hear God's intended message in this translation. This is a guy who specialized on the Song of Solomon, right? On the Song of Songs. And um, yeah, I don't know of a a scholar who's given a truly positive review. They usually try to say something nice about it here or there. That's just what they try to do. Yeah. Yeah. And I think, you know, as we're just trying to get practical, I think it's just so important. And maybe I, I always think maybe I'm too strict on this than other people. But, you know, as Christians, we say things like, well, God said. And it's like, did God really say that? Or is that something you think God said, or you have a feeling that God said, uh, you know, if it's mm-hmm. not found in his word, how do you actually know that God said it? And to me, yeah. if I'm going to put words in God's mouth saying God said this, he didn't say that. That is a serious mm-hmm. 
thing that we have to consider. And I think, you know, when, and we probably can think of a time where we have felt misrepresented, where someone said, so-and-so said this, and you're like, no, I didn't say that, or that was taken out of context, right? We, we understand how upset that can get us. You know, I remember translating for my mom when she came to visit in the Dominican Republic, and when she was praying for people, she would use so many adjectives, and like, God, thank you for this wonderful, glorious, beautiful, magnificent day that you've gifted us with, and I'm like, oh, this is going to be too hard. And this is point, I'm like two years into the country. My Spanish is not uh -huh. awesome for translating. And so I'm like, God, thank you for this day. And I just like cut them all out. And I, and I remember my mom. Making so the it. passion does the opposite. Yeah. God says, you know, thank you for this day. And he's like, you're the glorious, beautiful, wonder, um, wonderful, amazing, satisfying release of a good day that we have been experiencing on the earthly realms. You know? <laughs> exactly. But I remember my mom commenting, she goes, man, Spanish is so different. Like they must not use as many modifier words or something. And that, something like that of how she felt yeah. like, wow, there's this change from what I said to what you said. And I went, mom, I, I'm just not that good. And yeah, I can't I, remember all the qualifiers that you place and all the adjectives. And so I've cut them out and I've just stuck to the basic. And, you know, yeah. and it was almost this, like this recognition of, I didn't say that. There was another time I remember uh, someone was preaching in English, but it was to a Haitian group and we didn't have an English to Haitian translator. And so we had a uh, English speaker and then a translator from English to Spanish and then a Haitian translator from Spanish to Haitian Creole. Oh, and no. so it was three. And there was one time the guy said something very short in English. He just went, it was actually funny because he kept accidentally jumping in after the Spanish translation because he's not used to having two translations. And mm -hmm. so he goes, ah, oh, I'm not used to a third translation. Sorry, I keep cutting him off. The guy in Spanish said that. Oh, he's not used to the third translation. He keeps cutting off the Haitian guy. And the guy translating into Haitian Creole, he gave like a 30 second powerful da 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 da. Amen. And the whole crowd was like, amen. And I went, I don't think he said the that? same thing. And a guy who knew English sitting in yeah. front of me, who also knew Creole, he turned around. And he's like, "Yeah." <laughs> but again, these are things that happen. You go, "That's that, that's, that's not Brian's what him. the person said." His stuff is actually a lot of the stuff he translates and adds is encouraging, and sometimes it's theologically true. It's just not what the passage was saying. Yeah, you know. And so, for and saying, so this like, is what God said. Yeah, this and, is and God's I word. just I just think that we should respect God enough to to let Him say what He says and not add to it like we're translators. They need to help Him. We just need to communicate His meaning. And again, and that's what it seems like when it's like we are unlocking the the passion of God's heart that somehow God was unable to express His passion in Greek because Greek is a head language versus Hebrew and Aramaic is a heart language, and somehow God was limited to to get across the true passions of his heart and what it seems like is here brian simmons has received these spiritual downloads that lets him know what god's passion was even though the passion is not in the original to where now he can communicate that to us yeah and that to me is yeah. a huge claim where again if true if this truly does reveal god's passion and his heart in a new way we should all be reading it uh, if not we are saying god said this and god did not say that we i think need to take that very mm -hmm. seriously yeah and i, I would go a step one step further and i would say i'm concerned with not only those not only the, the translation itself um and i'm concerned with the people using it but i'm i'm concerned with the leaders endorsing this thing mm -hmm. i that just i don't it goes completely past my brain i don't understand the endorsement of it um now i know i've known a leader who spoke somewhat positively about it because he didn't understand the claims he thought the passion was saying it was a paraphrase and he thought, okay, well, I'll paraphrase, I'll give it more leeway here. He didn't realize it's claiming to be a good study uh, study Bible, and so he didn't even understand what he was what he was talking about when he was commenting on the Passion Translation. But but a lot of these guys, they they know what they're talking about, 
and they're saying like Bill Johnson said it was the best thing to happen to Bible translation in his lifetime. I think. Yeah. I think that, I think that was the quote. I can pull it up here for a second. It's right on the website. Yeah, and I'm going. I what like you're if you're going to talk about it, your job, Pastor, is to tell people not to read it. That's your job. This is easy. <laughs> If you're going to talk about it at all, that's your job. Yeah, there we go. So yeah, Bill Johnson from Bethel Church, as well as uh, the co-senior pastor from Hillsong, Bobby Houston. But yeah, one of the greatest things to happen in the Bible translation in my lifetime. Yeah. Now, it's I'm not saying that the passion is teaching a false gospel, and some people are going to say that. I don't. I, and it may be teaching a, a false Christology. We might be seeing that there, and I, I I would need to find more verses to support that claim. Yeah. Um, it might be leaning that way, though. But as far as the gospel goes, I think that it has at least the gospel of salvation secure. I'm, I'm concerned about the Christology. I don't want to give a stamp of approval on that yet. Um, so I'm not sure what to say about that. But yeah. it definitely is not representing what God said. Absolutely. And I think that's a, a good place to kind of put it right there is, is I think there's a lot that we've looked into that uh, should be considered. And um, it, it maybe doesn't radically change things. Like maybe you see in the, the New World translations with... with uh, with Jehovah's Witnesses that says flat out, you know, you know, Jesus is a God versus God. Um, but it definitely makes some things that should, you know, if we want to think deeply about God and his word and his revelation to us and take seriously the words that he has spoken to us, it should send up some red flags, at least, to where we go, hold on yeah. a second. And if there are better translations that do more accurately reveal God to us or the, represent the language that God has used in his revelation to us, why not use those? And it's like, well, maybe they don't sound as nice. <laughs> mm -hmm. But it's what God yeah, said. It, uh, one of the scholars I talked to is Lynn Coick, and she did a study of this, and she had advice for someone if they're drawn to the Passion Translation after all this, and they go, but I just really like it. She she said, I, here's what I would recommend. This is this is like really encouraging advice for people. Read a passage in the Passion that you love. Read it in another translation, NASB, ESV, NIV, King James, New King James, pick one. And then ask yourself this question. Why am I drawn towards this translation? Hmm. What about me is drawn towards the passion? And if you get the answer to that question, you might better understand what's really going on here. It's not about the Holy Spirit. It's about what exactly is it that makes me drawn towards this, but less interested in this. And I think the end result is this passion translation pulls a certain group of people and has them actually less interested in what God really said and more interested in the modified version. Yeah. That there's uh, the the power of the Holy Spirit in the in the moving and writing of this and getting this new revelation. Sometimes you know yeah. what God has already done is not enough, and it's kind of like you know I think too if like uh, we need a miracle, I need I need to see a miracle and experience a miracle. And it's like, are we saying that the miracle of the resurrection is not enough? That what God mm -hmm. has done in His revelation to us is not enough, and somehow we need uh, more. Um, so yeah. I have a couple questions that came in, and we'll finish up. I, you've uh, stayed way past the one hour time, but hopefully this again is is very beneficial and 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 uh, encouraging to people. And again, trying to just present some things we need to think about to take seriously and, and think deeply about who God is. Um, uh, so here, uh, so Mike is saying that a paraphrase for paraphrase is not eligible for a proper study Bible. Yeah, um, I am actually saying that uh, paraphrase is actually it's it's. It's great to help you in your studying of the Bible, but you don't want to use it as your study Bible. So like, I like the New Living Translation. I think that that's a pretty good paraphrase. I enjoy it. I will look at passages in it. Maybe you're struggling to understand a passage and it's nice to go look at a paraphrase and say, how did they do it here? Yeah. Uh, maybe you're just casually reading and paraphrases are especially nice for casually reading large portions of scripture. But when you're going, a lot hangs on this, a lot hangs on that, don't go to a paraphrase. Uh, go to a more word for word style translation. Yeah. 
good. Um, next one is uh, uh, curious why Dr. Brown endorses it. I know Mike's interviewed him recently. Were you able to ask him why he endorses the Passion Translation? I don't think he does endorse it. He did. He was the guy I talked about who was saying that he he talked about it, but he was, thought it was a paraphrase. He mm-hmm. was like, it's not a paraphrase. Like, I don't think he endorses it. I think he gave some off the cuff remarks about it that were um, more positive than the Passion Translation deserves. But here's the interesting thing about Michael Brown. He asked me to go on his show and talk about the Passion Translation. And I told him, hold on, wait. I'm in dialogue with Brian Simmons right now, and I don't want to do anything else until after I'm done talking with him. Since then, I didn't contact Dr. Brown to say, hey, I'm ready to go on yeah. um, because I, I'm always busy and I just prefer to say no to interviews. It was Brian just harassed me. So I, <laughs> so I was like, yeah, yeah, we better do it. Yeah. But, um, but at any rate, I'm, I'm just saying Michael Brown has not endorsed it. Um, there's a difference between speaking even positively about something versus endorsing it. Yeah. There is a difference. Very good. All right, Mike. Well, you've spent more than enough time with us. I just so appreciate it. Thank you for that. Uh, is there anything kind of final words that you would like to share uh, with those kind of listening and, and kind of thinking through their use of translations and the passion translation? Yeah, um, I, I think that um, there's lots of great translations out there. We don't need to be paranoid. This was a blessing to me. When I studied translations before the passion came out, I would studied a bunch of translations because I was concerned. Can I really look at things other than the new King James version, you know, and I spent a good amount of time on it. And I found out that we have a lot of good translations out there and we're actually better off with multiple English translations. This is a healthy thing. And, um, I, at the same time, I, I think that for the most part, I'm going to come out with a healthy Christianity. If I read the passion translation, even, yeah, that's true, but I'm not, but I don't think it'll represent accurately what God is saying in the text, uh, in its, in the specific cases a lot of the time, (laughs) which is pretty unfortunate. Now, the the encouragement, though, is this, is don't go to the Bible thinking, I got to get my feels. That's what makes it good. That's what makes my Bible study moment good is when I get my feels going. Instead, say, I want to understand your word, Lord. I want to guide my life by the things that you have said. I want to believe what you have written, and I want to comprehend your purpose for having it there. And uh, sometimes you'll get feels and sometimes you won't. Um, and it doesn't matter. Yeah. Uh, in fact, that was a point. I just finished uh, on Monday and Tuesday teaching my historical Christian doctrine class, mistakes that people make when reading the Bible. And one of them yeah. was, don't feel like your Bible study is fruitless just because you don't receive new revelation. Uh, in yeah. fact, most times if you get new revelation, it's probably not actually there because if you're finding something that really smart people studying the God's word for the last 2000 years have not found, um, <laughs> it's probably not actually there and you're making something up. But again, like we are commanded to study who God is, to learn about him in the same way that I have conversations with my wife, even if we have a conversation and finish and there's not this like, whoa, that was the greatest conversation ever. Like yeah. you're, you're, we're supposed to be in relationship and that's what relationship looks like. And so reading our scripture, even yeah. if there's not this bright shining light moment where we feel so great. It's yeah. what we're supposed to do, being in a relationship with God. Awesome. Well, Mike, yeah. you have been an incredible blessing to my ministry, uh, to my YouTube channel, as so much has happened since then. And I'm uh, really encouraged by that. And I love your work and your ministry that you're doing. And just thank encourage everyone watching to go check out your channel as well. So thank you so much for coming on and cool, talking man. with us about this. Thanks, Ryan. Absolutely. And for those watching, as we finish up, again, I encouraged by that, go check out all the links below uh, to Mike's channel and all the other YouTube videos that are included. And then just so you know, in the coming weeks, as we continue to try to think deeply together about Christianity, I have Ollie Ordway coming on to talk about imaginative apologetics next week. I'm not even quite sure what that is. And so it's something that we're going to be learning about together. And then Brian Chilton talking about his book, Mike Lacona talking about New Testament contradictions. And then on June 8th, William Lane Craig is coming on to talk about arguments for God's existence and answer your apologetic questions. So those are the upcoming interviews. And as always, subscribe on social media and follow so you can interact and see all the content that is going on. If you enjoy it, subscribe to that little bell so you don't fight. And I'll see you guys next time.
Thank you all so much for watching. Have a blessed rest of your day. God bless you guys. Don't hesitate to follow your love will guide me.